Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a special Saturday episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. Uh, for those of you who listened to last week's special episode on Mental Sauna 3 Christmas Inflections, we're going to be doing today a review of Haunted Holidays Deadly Christmas, the first uh, horror album in the series uh, of my, my Haunted Holidays. Don't know how far it's going to go. Uh, I've got a couple albums in and uh, really liking it so far. So I have some ideas uh, for moving forward, but we'll just see what, uh, what inspires me as we go forward. I do want to apologize for the sound of my voice. I am a little bit under the weather. I have bronchitis or consumption or some other thing. I'm pretty sure I've coughed up most of my skeleton at this point. But uh, I did promise a Saturday episode, and the show must go on. I'm a firm believer in doing everything I can to stick to my word, uh, at least communicate if I can. And I realize the only way I would be able to communicate would be by doing a podcast to tell you I can't do a podcast. So that didn't really seem like it was going to help. But... That being said, let's start with Haunted Holidays, Deadly Christmas. Before we get into the music, I want to talk about the amazing artwork that Kelly came up with for this. I mean, she just nailed it. Blew it out of the park, actually. Uh, what I told her for the concept, you know, I, I had, uh, had a general idea of what the song titles were going to be and what I was going to write about, and... I said, think about those ideas and think about that portrait of hell by uh, Hieronymus Bosch, which I, you know, is one of those things that you could just look at for 10 hours and still have no idea what's going on. And uh, she said, cool. And then she came up with this. And I, I was just blown away, absolutely blown away. So very happy with that. She was working on that while I was finishing up the music. And uh, the original concept of the album actually was going to be that there were only going to be a couple of stories that were narrated and everything else was going to be instrumental. But after I was working with the narration and I was having so much fun putting that together with the song and uh, the voices that I came up with, and, which I'll get back to in a second, uh, I decided that it didn't really work the way that I had originally planned it. And I went ahead and wrote uh, additional narration for for all the other songs and then recorded that had to change the music around a little bit to fit to the timing and everything but uh so it was attacked completely the opposite of what i would normally do which is i would normally write the story first and write the music around that but the uh original concept didn't seem to be as good as as what it could be and so i ended up just rolling with it and changing it and i'm really happy that i did one of, i think the f one of the first songs that i actually recorded narration on uh was it played upon your deepest fear and when I, when I went to do that one, uh, I was just going to do that in a straight narration voice. And for some reason, you know, I hit record and I'm hitting that part where I'm going to start uh, speaking. And I just came up with this old man's voice. I don't know where it came from. I didn't plan it. It just happened and I went with it. And then I went back and re-recorded a couple of the other songs in that voice. Originally, the concept was uh, there's a, a couple of people on YouTube that are narrators of like, uh, you know, five scariest things kind of videos. And I really like the way that uh, that they speak, so I kind of lowered my voice a little bit, did uh, a, a different inflection than I would normally speak with, and uh, kind of went with that for the basic voice. But when it came to this song, this this old man just kind of came out, and uh, I I thought, well, that's actually kind of cool, and uh, worked on it a little bit, and then uh, then did it. So that's where it all started, 
and uh, the the origin of the album, of course, for you guys that listened uh, last week, is the song uh, Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy, because I wanted to put that on the Mental Sauna Christmas album, but it was just too dark and uh, didn't really work for what I was going for. And so I hung on to what I had composed, and that was kind of the the idea that sparked this album was I had some kind of dark Christmas thing and I thought, well, you know, I don't really hear a lot of horror Christmas music, so maybe that's something that I could do that would be interesting and different. And uh, since then, of course, I've, I've heard uh, some other things, but uh, I, I think that my approach is a little bit unique and uh, I don't normally do narration, so that was kind of fun. And they were just, it was, there was just a fun bunch of songs to work on and uh, I had a really good time doing it. So I think I'd started with... Uh, Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy, and then I came up with the concept of doing uh, Jesu Joy of Man's Beheading, and then put those two songs together as like a continuing story, uh, which may not be the end. We will see. But uh, you'd think when you take the head off of something, it's done, but, you know, in, in the world of horror, as we've seen over and over again, it's not necessarily true. So let's uh, let's start talking about the songs one on one. But uh, that was kind of where everything started. And, and like I said, you know, with Kelly's artwork, with uh, you know that it's kind of got that that warm Christmas tonality to it, but just in a hideous fashion with uh, with the eye and that sort of uh, morphed creature and everything. Just absolutely brilliant. When she sent me the the original concept, uh, I, I was just blown away. I, I loved every bit of it. So uh, let's get into Jingle the Bells. story of Christmas is not one you would likely have guessed. It all began centuries ago when a man named Jonathan Christ... So each one of these songs in and of itself is a play on something, whether it's, uh, you know, a, a, all the titles obviously are, are very obvious what I did with them, but then within the songs themselves, everything has a bit of a play or an inflection of something from the original story. So there is a tie-in to, to the original lyrics, at least the ones that I found to be the original ones, because I had to do a little digging on that. As, as times have changed and traditions have changed, sometimes the people sing different versions of it and different countries have adapted it differently. So it was kind of interesting to go back and do some of the research. And, uh, you know, Jingle Bells is just such a happy little song that, uh, you know, you, you just kind of like want to ride in the sleigh and go really fast and, and just chase it. But I thought I want to do something that's just completely different with it, as I really did with all of the songs. And I don't really remember how I came up with the story, but I, I remember as I was developing it, I was kind of unconsciously putting those elements in, like how the the jingle bells worked in the story and the bobtail and all that. And that was where I said, okay, that's what I need to do with all of these songs. I need to take elements of the originals and put them in there so that the story has some kind of correlation to it. And it's not just titled the same thing with no no uh, tie. So uh, that was a lot of fun. And then the, the music, again, was one that was originally just an instrumental, and I had to retailer for uh, for the narration to fit, as I did with pretty much all of them. I think there was maybe one that I didn't have to do that with. And I think, 
I want to say it was Silent Night. I, I'm not positive now. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so I, uh, I worked on the story and I had the music already. So then I re-edited the music to work with the, the length of the narration. And uh, the way that I did it in this particular case, I don't normally work with markers. Uh, and markers are, in, in a scoring program, they are just like little flags that tell you, uh, you know, where something is supposed to be, like a little note that you can put in there. So I would put flags of where the lines of their, the narration would start and stop because I didn't really have a verse-chorus type setup like you normally would. So you would normally know where to sing. But in this case, uh, the markers really helped me keep on pace and make sure that the music was long enough or not too long enough to work with the narration. And uh, it's the only project I've done this on. Even on the second Haunted Holidays album, I didn't need to do that. Uh, because in that case, I recorded it the way I normally would have, which would be all the narration first, and then you write the music and you put the narration in uh, where you're making room for it. But since I had to retrofit all the songs, uh, the markers really helped. So that's a good tool. And, and honestly, I mean, as a film composer, uh, sometimes I would use those just for, uh, you know, to say when, when like a, a hit would come up or something that was going to be off time. But it was something I very, very rarely used and never in, in my own album. So it was kind of a, a fun way to do things and do something a little bit different and interesting. But uh, anyway, that's, uh, that's Jingled Bells. So I'm hoping that my voice is going to last through this. Um, I haven't really been talking all day, so it's uh, it's not really warmed up. And uh, I was kind of afraid that if I did talk all day, I would blow it out and not be able to uh, to do the podcast recording. I'm uh, actually drizzling honey down my throat right out of the bear. So uh, that's hoping to, helping to uh, coat it a little bit. And then I've got some peppermint tea that's, that's helping a little bit. Uh, so that brings us to the second song on the album, Away With a Stranger. And this is one of those, you know... <sighs> rickety van there's a bike in the in there for you kid kind of kind of concepts except that in this case it's uh you know olden times and it's uh, more about uh, the scientist that's trying to lure a child in so that he can uh study him physically and and uh you know the, the inner workings and uh take it a little bit too far and uh that's the basic concept started from that uh you know rickety van idea and then uh just kind of developed as the song went and i was playing with some sounds and, and just creating some textures and developed that sort of ethereal voice almost like a soul can't really speak because it doesn't have vocal cords or a voice box but it's almost that like the the soul trying to scream out but it sounds terrified but it sounds jovial almost at the same time very kid-like and so I started playing with that and developed that a little bit and uh, that's kind of where it all came together for the song to be created and uh, a couple of people have said that it's the creepiest song I've ever written and uh, you know for when you're doing an album like this I'll, I'll take great pride in that uh, it, it was a lot of fun and even listening to it now as I go back I'm like what a sad story you know this the the way that it plays out uh, for the soul really kind of sucks. But, uh, you know, that is the world of horror. So uh, that's Away With a Stranger. Well, hello, little Stephen. Would you like a balloon? There's one in the truck just waiting for you.
it played upon your deepest fear. That uh, that's the one that uh, that started the uh, old man voice, as I talked about earlier. That was one that just kind of flowed. Uh, once I decided what I wanted the story to be about, this sort of uh, kid who's almost imprisoned by his parents, and, you know, doesn't really have a have a clue why, doesn't really question it. He's just like that kind of sucks, but it's part of life. And uh, you know, the the twist in his life and how he finds out that he's been lied to and, and everything, uh, and what it does to him psychologically, the whole uh, murder of his parents and. And that it it really was something that like I've never written anything like that before, and uh, and then to to sort of tie that in with the uh, you know the music box and the the crank toy and that sort of thing because I had I when I was a kid I had a Jack in the Box and it had like a you know it was made of tin I think and it had like a, a tin handle of the plastic thing on the end and then you you know you, it plays the song and then the clown thing pops out and whatever, and so this was kind of based on that that idea. And uh, it was it was just a fun song to uh, to do, and it's it's nice because when you work on things that that uh, have a very strict set of rules, like I have a very strict set set of rules when I'm working on my mental sauna music, and horror is really a much more just wide open canvas, and there's really for me uh, the only rules I had were in the story of you know just being able to tie it in, but apart from that. It was just a free palette for sounds and textures and to really dig deep and, and play with things. And that was probably the most fun part of it. But uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's it played upon your deepest fear. Christmas morning. So Silent Night, Dreadful Night, I think, was the first song I had decided on that I was going to put on the album, uh, and the first uh, title that I twisted that way. Uh, the uh, the story was one of the last ones that I wrote, because I couldn't figure out what I was going to do with it. Uh, I liked the title, but I had no direction for it, no idea. And then I... I came up with the idea of, uh, you know, this little kid who was going to be the savior of this town that was being brutalized and, uh, he was going to come out and save him. And then of course, you know, he's, the training is all well and good and it's great that in practice he can battle better than anyone. But unless you test people in the reality of a, a, a situation where the adrenaline's flowing and there's actual stakes, you don't really know how you're going to react. And I remember thinking back to, uh, elementary school and, you know, we some kids and I would be sitting at a table talking and the conversation would go to, you know, we're, we're, we're like seven years old, but we're, we're tough kids. You know, like, hey, if anybody ever tried to break into my house, I'd, I'd beat them up. Or you don't know that. You might think that you're going to do that. But the fact is, is that you don't really know how you're going to react in, a, uh, in an actual live situation because there's no stakes when you're in rehearsal. It's like, you know, a martial artist can do kata form or can do like, uh, you know, in-ring uh, sparring matches or whatever, but it, but that's a big difference from actually being out on the street and being faced with a, a thug or somebody who actually does pose a threat. 
So unless you're actually faced with a real life situation, you can hope that you'll react with that sort of, uh, you know, foundation of your training and be able to uh, do whatever you need to do. But until you're actually in it, you're never going to know how you're actually going to react. And so uh, with our uh, expected hero, that was the case with him. This is the first time that he's actually being faced with real life battle and what he does with it. And that is the story of Silent Night, Dreadful Night. I Saw Three Ships was actually inspired by a poem that I read, I want to say, seventh grade, called The Cremation of Sam McGee. And there was something I always liked about the, the prose, the way that it rolled uh, the, the lines one after another, and uh, just kind of caught me and, and stuck with me over the years. And so uh, that kind of inspired the the way that I wrote the lyrics out for this one, and, and uh, it's because it's much more poetic than the rest of the others are are more just narrated stories. But this was a little bit more like somebody reading a poem, and uh, was just thinking about what the significance of the three ships would be. And uh, you know, in the song, obviously, you know, it's it's a very happy thing, but uh, of course, that's not going to fly on this album. So uh, so then I thought, well, what could they be and what could they be doing? And then I started thinking about the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie and just, you know, the, the ships coming in and then it turns out they're pirates and they sort of raid the town, but with no reason, you know. That sort of just, you know, fun pillaging was, was not really what these people were here for. Uh, so I wanted to find a loftier purpose, you know, some, some actual reason that they would come in and do this. And, uh, so then the story just came together actually very easily from there. I think I probably wrote the whole thing in 10 minutes and, uh, it just was a very natural, uh, easy process. Uh, I didn't really have to work too hard to get the format right because it just really just rolled, uh, off the pen and fell together very nicely. So, uh, it's, you know, when, when music comes together like that, or lyrics, uh, it's it's a great thing because that you're just in that zone. You've captured something and you just ride that wave and you're done and you look it over and you go, yes, this is right, or you change one or two things here and there. But it's, you know, when, when music is, is natural, I think that's when it's most enjoyable to listen to because it, if, it, if you're trying too hard, if it sounds contrived or sounds too planned, it, uh, to me it doesn't feel as good. It, it doesn't... Uh, you almost feel like somebody's trying to make it commercial or trying to sell it versus here's what I felt in this moment and that's what you're getting, which is more what this is. So anyway, I hope you like it. That's uh, I Saw Three Ships, The Bringers of Death. So I talked earlier about uh, Last Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy and Jesu Joy and Man's Beheading. Uh, I, I really started thinking about how sad it makes me that Tchaikovsky hated the Nutcracker. 
he said it was the stupidest thing he ever wrote and and it always made me sad because that song to me is is like the ultimate christmas song it was you know whenever i'd be at hallmark shopping for my cards to send out to everybody back in the day uh that that song would always come on at hallmark and that meant okay now it's christmas time i'm here shopping for for cards and it's the sugar plum fairy is playing so it's we're good now it's we're rolling and uh it always made me sad that he didn't like that so I started thinking about it from his perspective, and I thought, well, what would he do with it now? He might try and kill off the Sugar Plum Fairy. Uh, so a little play on words. I turned it into the Sugared Plum Fairy. Uh, not that I was worried about copyright or anything. It just was a nice little twist I, I thought of. And uh, the story of basically the Sugared Plum Fairy being an annoyance that just kind of won't go away, and people are sick of her, and uh, they, they need to, to do something about it. And so she's out there doing a performance and they boo her and it just kind of really hurts. And then they come in and go, okay, now's the time. Now we're going to take charge of this. And uh, then just to really show the uh, the depth of their hatred for her, uh, they, they take her out and behead her in Jesu Joy of Man's Beheading, which, you know, I, I said in the uh, in the Mental Sauna Christmas podcast how much I love Jesu Joy of Man's Desiring as a, as a Christmas song. And I really kind of downplayed it musically here but uh, but I think that the inflections of it is what really served the purpose. But uh, yeah, those two songs together—that's that was a fun combination of things to do. And and again, you know, these were uh, just a joy of man's beheading was originally just going to be an instrumental. So to uh, to have paired it with the last dance of the sugared plum fairy uh, kind of worked really nicely musically. As I was listening back to them trying to develop the the story ideas, I thought, well, these two could fit together really well. So, uh, yeah, those, those were fun. And like I said, uh, they're, they're, this may not be the end of them. We'll see what time says. Lang Syne, until next year, this was uh, this was always planned to be the ending of the album. Uh, it's it's one of those that you know you can just it, it's a kumbaya. It's one of those songs that you all just put your arms around each other and you you sway back and forth and sing together, and it's this nice warm. Okay, we've we've had our moment. Let's tie it all together, and then it's time to go home uh, from from the party. And uh, so that was the the original plan. And then I thought, you know, it would be nice, though, to tie up the album to have, you know, we've got narrators. We have people that are telling these stories where they just going to walk away. No, they're going to they're going to say, you know, that this is the last story or, you know, thanks for listening or they're going to do something. So I thought, well, I should put at least a couple of lines in there and uh, and have it tied together. And uh, I just had that original sarcastic laugh at the end, which which I liked. And I thought I'd play that up a little bit. I added a little bit of reverb just to the laugh. Uh, but but uh, it was it's kind of nice because it, it really has that uh, feeling of everybody just going home like the the party's over and uh, everybody's just kind of lumbering back to their grave or wherever they've come from and uh, it it just seemed to move along quite nicely and uh, I really enjoyed that one. And now, sadly, it's time to take the dead away for a while.
wrapped up the album. But uh, then the second album came out, which I'll talk about in another podcast here when I when I can speak a little bit better, perhaps uh, maybe by next week. I'm hoping. In the meantime, uh, I do have another podcast, uh, my regularly scheduled podcast, coming up on Wednesday, and I'm talking to the amazingly talented Jojo Draven. Uh, Jojo is a, a fantastic film composer. She scored the film uh, Patient 7, uh, which you can see on Amazon and some other places that we'll talk about. Uh, but she also uh, plays guitar with a band called The Set List, who here in Vegas, they play, uh, they've played at a couple of different venues, but the last uh, year or so, they've been over at the House of Blues in, in Mandalay Bay. And what they do is, like, every three months or so, they take an, a classic album and then they redo it with people that are currently or former performers of shows uh, here in, in, in town. So they have, you know, people from the different Cirque shows from Blue Man Group and, and some of the independent shows. And they just get together and they have a wonderful time. I've seen them do Slippery When Wet by Bon Jovi. Uh, I saw them do Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. And I'm not even an Alanis Morissette fan. I, I don't really just never really clicked with her music. But the first one I saw them do was Jagged Little Pill. And I had such a good time watching them do that entire album. And then they do like a few other hits from that artist. Uh, Slippery When Wet was another one by Bon Jovi, just a, a fantastic time. And then, uh, then the, I saw them do um, Sgt. Pepper. And they uh, had some of the cast from Love in there. They used some of those arrangements. Just a fantastic show. And then uh, just recently, they were, they've started doing uh, battles of two different bands. And then so they've got like different sets of singers and, and that, that battle back and forth singing songs. And uh, a couple of weeks before I interviewed JoJo, she was there performing. Uh, it was Journey versus the Police. And she did an amazing job getting the guitar tones, getting that feel. Um, really, really put a lot of effort into it. And that's something that I can appreciate. You know, she could have just gone out and played the songs, but she went the extra mile. And she's such a talented player that she could switch back from one to another and just you just feel like you're in that element. Um, I've also seen her perform with Blue Man Group. She did a tour with, uh, with Chris Angel as well. Um, just really versatile, really good experience, but it's well-deserved because she's incredibly talented. So we talk about those things. We talk about all kinds of other stuff, and I'm really grateful that I did the interview when I did because it was right before I got sick. So, uh, so my voice doesn't sound like uh, the closest version I'll ever get to Barry White. So thank you for listening. I hope you guys have enjoyed a little bit of insight into my first Haunted Holidays album. Uh, I will plan, I'm planning on doing all of the albums that I have out, so it's going to take a little while to catch up. And, of course, I'm working on new stuff and in between other things. And um, I'm hoping to release at least two albums a year, one from my back catalog that I'm revising and then one from uh, something new. And some of the al albums that I had released originally are going to be broken up into different formats because originally what I did was I would just write enough music to fit on a CD and then I would release it as an album with no thought to the styles of music. It was just whatever I wrote. So I could write rock and new age and jazz all on the same album and it makes no sense whatsoever. So I've kind of revamped everything. Um, some of the things will probably not be on albums because I've got some that are symphonies that are going to be uh, revised. And, um, you know, since you can release all that stuff individually now, there's no reason to tie up uh, an album with a 60-minute CD or a 60-minute symphony on an 85-minute CD. I could just release those as individual downloads now, or, or you know, or I could do it as an EP, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, so it's it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. But uh, I do want to get all that old material revised, 
um, updated, modernized a little bit to the skill level I have now versus where I was when I wrote those pieces. And then on top of that, um, you know, do something new every year too, because I want to grow and, and build my skills and release new creative things as well as revamping old creative things. Uh, and then of course I've got the books and stuff that I'm doing in between and film projects and, and, uh, I've been asked to collaborate on a couple projects. So there's a lot that's going on in the works. And then of course the podcast, uh, is, is going to continue. Uh, if everyone that I have on my dream list, uh, agrees to be on the show, I will have at least material for the next two years, if not beyond that. So, um, so I'm looking forward to it. It's a lot of fun. I love doing the show. I'm hoping that you guys are enjoying it. Leave me some feedback. Send me an email to Scott at Scott has com. Uh, put some comments on your, if you're listening on iTunes, I think you can on uh, Podbean as well. There's a, a comment spot there. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. But most important, if you're on iTunes while you're listening, please take a couple seconds. Just go to that ratings tab, put a star rating on it, whether you feel it deserves one star or five stars doesn't matter. Be honest. That's the most important thing. Because if you guys don't like the show, I want to know that. But what's more important would be for me to know why you don't like the show or what you do like about the show, because that kind of encourages me as well. So uh, feel free to leave comments or ratings, or you can email me. But the star rating would be really cool if you guys would do that. And, and for those who have, thank you so much, because that, that really helps. Um, so anyway, I hope that you guys enjoy the rest of your weekend or week or whenever you're listening to this. And uh, check out Wednesday's uh, episode with Jojo Draven. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. Mm-hmm.